1: just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the Wiley veteran, Dave Decker. And a guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns. Your podcast MVP Dia Miller. Hello, and welcome again to Dave and Dia. Actually, scratch that. Welcome to the Anthony Simons podcast, where we are 100% Anthony Simons all the time. Happy Anthony Day, Dia. It is wonderful to see you again. We are both ordering Anthony Simons jerseys. We're going to get an Anthony Simons cake. It's ant time all over the place. Uh, in case you can't tell, we are talking to you right after the. Blazers. Absolutely demolished the Indiana Pacers, thanks to Anthony Simons hitting nine of ten three-point shooting, ninety percent from the arc. Pretty good, and uh, they got a much-needed win to perhaps at least for a moment get their nose above water and keep the season uh, intact. And it was thanks to the to the young guy, to the reserve that nobody wanted. Uh, he was hitting threes all over the place, and it was fantastic. Welcome, Dia. This is Dia Miller. I'm Dave Deckard, by the way. How are you feeling after that game? Let's just start with Indiana. I mean, why not? Let's start on an up note.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was exciting, especially because we've had, it's been so rough lately. We've had such a rough run the last few weeks. We've had way more losses than wins. It's been incredibly frustrating. The team hasn't played the way we expected. And so it was about time. It was about time we get a good win. And this one felt good. I mean... One hundred and thirty-three to one hundred and twelve. That's that's a solid win. I mean, we were we were going into the fourth quarter feeling pretty darn good, and that doesn't happen very often.
1: Well, you'll feel good when you're up by thirty-four, right? So, I mean, and
0: there were there were five minutes left of the game, and we were up by more than thirty. And I thought, I don't remember the last time. I went into the last five minutes of the game and felt confident that we were going to win.
1: All 15 players played. I mean, that that never happens for the Blazers this year. Ever, ever, ever. And yeah. uh, the Blazers had actually the top three scorers on the floor. Indiana couldn't muster anybody to outscore Simons, Lillard, and McCollum. And no Indiana player got above 20. Uh, Sure, the Blazers allowed 112, but really they had a, I believe it was 40 to 16 third quarter, which was fantastic. They not only scored like hotcakes, they absolutely kept the other person, the other team flattened down, uh, which was wonderful. I mean, just you could not have asked for a better effort. Now, Indiana, of course, is missing key players, but who the heck cares? The Blazers have played close against teams that have been hurt before. This time Damian Lillard came out strong at the beginning. Uh McCollum also and Nurkic also and the big 3 played like a big 3 and then Simons just yep. came in and mopped up.
0: Any game where we see flashes of defense is an exciting game. I mean, we've talked before about how this is no secret. Like I don't even need to mention the fact that we struggle with defense. Everybody knows that. This is not a secret. And so when we have games like this where we have Periods of time where we're able to hold the other team down. That feels good. That feels really good. And so we saw that tonight. I mean, there were times where everybody was doing well. And I think that's that shows us that they can. That they can. They're capable. We just need to see a little more of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, Yusuf Nurkic is kind of back, right? I mean, you saw, yeah. it, saw it against Denver. Saw it in the first yeah. game against Memphis he makes that big of a difference we've been telling you about. We've this been saying that
0: from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah from- this is not news. If you listen to this show, this is not news. We've been talking about the fact that Nurk is a difference maker. And I mean, if we want to jump back to to the Memphis game, the first Memphis game, you know, he had one of the probably his best game this season. We need that from him. If we're going to go anywhere, we need Nurk to be Nurk because without him, we are a completely different team.
1: Yeah. Uh, what do you have? He had something obnoxious, like 26 points and 17 rebounds. Yeah. Twi-
0: so so this is jumping back to the first Memphis game, which we lost 130 to 128. It was a close game. It was still a loss, but Nurk, it was Nurk's best game of the season, I think. 26 points, 17 rebounds, 11 of 15 shooting, and only in 29 minutes. That's a solid stat line for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it was brilliant. Uh, Unfortunately, they lost that game. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Nurk played strong against Denver as well. And then he played well against Indiana, kind of more blending in than taking over. But you, you can see the difference. And yes, this was three losses in four games. But that's not necessarily Nurkic's fault. And those games were close, I think, because of him. And I think that's looking up now. Unfortunately, the schedule is getting worse. We'll talk about that too. But if the Blazers have any hope, Nurkic has got to be playing really, really well, and he's starting to. So that's a that's an up sign. Obviously, Simons is an up sign as well. Robert Covington had his stroke back tonight against Indiana. That's a huge, huge, huge deal. The guy who's gone down a little bit actually is Norman Powell, who continues to struggle. Uh, But the Blazers didn't need him necessarily, at least not tonight. But they still haven't put it all together, which is the scary thing. You've got Nurk and Covington up. um, You've got Powell down. You've got McCollum kind of in the middle. Dame Lillard, though. Boy, I mean... Dame had an aggressive night tonight and it looked like he wanted to come out right away. You saw it right away. He missed his first three shots, but he was taking them. Go ahead.
0: Dame is interesting to watch right now because he's been struggling. He's so his shooting versus over the last three games uh, versus Denver was 39.1% versus the first Memphis game was 36.4% and the second Memphis game was 29.6%, which against his season average, his season average is 43.4%. So those are really low numbers for Dame, really low numbers for Dame. We've been saying that there's something a little off. We don't really know. And granted, he sat, he was hurt. He sat out three games and that could have had an impact as well. But, you know, I mean, even tonight, he got a technical for getting angry.
1: Yeah, he he was fouled at the end of the first half on a three-pointer, or he thought he was fouled. And it looked like the shot came up short, although the video... Evidence. It was hard to tell if he was actually hit, but certainly his shot came out uncharacteristically short. So it looked like he was touched and he got really angry, slammed the scorer's table in front of a referee with both his hands and got teed up for it. CJ McCollum has also been exhibiting some frustration, by the way. A couple of flagrant fouls.
0: Gotta be. If you look again, if you look at this roster and you look at the talent on paper, this is a good team. This is a good team. And so to be Damien Lillard and to be CJ McCollum, especially I think CJ McCollum, who, you know, there's this constant talk. Nobody's talking about, tra- well, there are people talking about trading Dame, but they're not talking
1: there's not saying that's good no it's
0: yeah I'm mean, I was trying to avoid saying that but there's really no other way to say it. Right. No there Damian Lillard's not getting traded. But there's a lot of talk right now about trading CJ McCollum and if you're CJ McCollum and you know the potential of this team and you know how it can shake out and you know how you're playing, this has to be insanely frustrating. And I I mean I, I think we're seeing that with Dame too. I think Dame is typically a pretty laid back He gets into it, he gets competitive, but we don't see uncontrolled response from Dame very often. He is usually very controlled, and we've seen a lot more of that lately where he's lashed out. Now, a while back, there was some, he came out and said like, hey, I've been through hell this year. There's a lot going on in my personal life, and that's caused me. To have a shorter fuse which is completely understandable and i don't fault him for that at all but i think that it says something that we're continuing to see this this anger and frustration from these guys because i think again th- this is a potentially really good team and they're not playing to that full potential and that has to be as a good player on a what should be a good team that has to be frustrating
1: yeah i mean let's let's look at it lillard you've just chronicled. McCollum, as I said, got flagrant fouls in at least two out of the last three games on plays that were a little bit chippy, which granted you kind of want, but it's a little bit, you know, it's that CJ that comes out every once in a while, like not exactly smooth on his game, CJ. Norman Powell hasn't been exhibiting any emotional frustration, but he's not been hitting his shots and not been a major part of the offense. So now you have one, two, three guards who are Portland's clearly best scorers, best offensive players, and, and the key to the, really the heart of the team. And all three of them are off. And, and Dame, by the way, I think is physical as well. I think that the hamstring or the rest or whatever he went through, and then he's still not quite himself coming back. So you have a lot of things that are kind of loose on this team. But the thing is, you've got to explode. You can't implode. And it looked like they were perilously close to imploding. Like, look, five straight losses, even if some of them were only by one or two points. Uh, yeah. Three of them, in fact, were two points or less. But still, these were games you needed, and right. they didn't get them. And they didn't look like they were in sync. You start to speculate. You start to wonder, uh, is Dame seriously hurt? Or has the acquisition of Norman Powell kind of upset the balance so that maybe CJ is looking at the future and going, you know what? Feels like these rumors finally have legs and maybe they don't want me here. Or is Powell struggling to fit in or something? Whatever it is, the Blazers have basically been saved by Nurkic coming on strong and occasionally by Covington. And that's been bailing them out. Carmelo Anthony yeah. too, with his shooting every once in a while. But it's funny. It's the front court that's been having to bail out the back court. When Which is the, not typical. The whole rest of the us. season, it's been the opposite. Right. 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 So it, it's weird. The team is still seesawing. And we just
0: can't get everybody at once. It's like one or the other. We can't all get there at once. And that, I mean, if we're going to win games, we need to all get there at once.
1: Yeah. And and here I think there's some valid critique. Okay. And again, we want to avoid individual players may have things going on that are beyond their control or anybody's control. Fine. But the image I get is like, you ever try to fly a drone? You know, those drone things, four propellers and you have the thing and (laughs) you get it up Uh in the air. Okay. All right. So it looks easy, but when you first do it, it's like, Whoa, oh, I pushed it too hard. It went way up in the air. Whoa, no, it crashed down. Oh, no, now it's flying out of the yard or whatever. And it takes experience to be gentle and um, and have enough control and anticipation on those joysticks to make it work. You would expect that kind of control from a veteran team. Right. It's not in evidence right now. And I know the schedule got harder and I know that things are tough, but it's really like this team is careening all over the yard at this point or all over the living room and getting really close to hitting ceilings and walls with that drone. I want to see a little more, I think of what we saw tonight against Indiana, which is confidence, which is even when things aren't happening and shots aren't falling, that there's production there and that everybody looks like they know each other and can depend on each other. That's what's been missing for the last couple of weeks Let's see if it resurfaces. Last time we thought we had it was against San Antonio. That was two weeks ago. And that big win on the road. And yes, they finally got it now. And then they went and lost straight. Five straight, rather. So let's see if this Indiana win sticks.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Blazers, I feel like we have these streaks, you know? I'm glad we had this Pacers game as a break before we played Memphis again, because it won't surprise me if this is just enough to kind of push us back out there, give them some momentum and come back and and win against Memphis when we play them next. I mean, I've said this before in this podcast, there's so much about this game that's mental. And I think sometimes they get in these ruts. I know we kind of talked about that word. It's a little bit of a hot button word, but you kind of get in this rut where you feel like you just can't claw your way back out. And sometimes it just needs something like a win against the Pacers tonight to pull you out of that and get you right back on track. So that's what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful that this Indiana game will kind of reset, give us a chance to to pull it back in. You know, one of the things I appreciate is that the Blazers themselves are not delusional. I think sometimes us as fans are. I will own that. I am often a delusional Blazer fan, <laughs> and I probably will continue to be. But I don't think the team is. I think that they're looking at this and seeing, "Hey, you know what? We've got issues. We've got some things that need to be fixed." I mean, it seems like they're aware of that and trying to fix those things. So I'm hopeful that that we'll get there. That, that first loss in Denver well, this week—that was 100.
1: 100- be- yeah, it went even before that. Let's let's hold. Let's rewind through the through the five losses.
0: Okay.
1: I mean. Look, Miami and Boston.
0: And then, and and truthfully, yeah. truthfully, we've had five losses, but we've had I think in like the last 9 or 10 games we've only had two wins.
1: Uh, so four. there's been 4, five in four a row, wins but- to 10 losses. 4 wins to oh. 10 losses over that. But oh, yeah. you, you so- were right a bit ago. It was 3 to 10 before to, before tonight. So so look, um Miami and Boston, which are th- the most recent streak of, you know, two before the five. You you might expect those. I mean, Miami's a good team. Boston's a good team. And they're Eastern Conference opponents. Yes, they were home games, but home games aren't quite the same. You can see this, right? They were good teams. The win against San Antonio was great. Okay, kind of made back the mojo after the two losses to tough teams. But the Charlotte loss was not good. I mean, there's no way to construct it as good. It was a good game for Carmelo Anthony. That was about it. And the Blazers didn't look like at any time they were really going to win it. So. That one's a tough one to take, but even tougher, you got the Clippers. And granted, they're a superior team, probably, but they're also the team that you were looking at as your potential first-round opponent, and you lost it by one point. And I'm sorry, if you're going to lose it by one point, no, you got to win that by one point. I mean, the, the team, <laughs> the team that, would, that wins that by one point looks a lot better. And if it were that close, if you could make one more play and turn this game, you got to do it because they did. It's kind of the same thing with Denver. I mean, they're their conference rival, potential eventual playoff opponent, certainly someone you need to be able to beat if you want to advance. You lost that by one point. Same thing. It's good that you were within one point, but if it's one point, you got to win that if you're going to be serious. Then Memphis, the team that we underlined last week, Nurkic plays out of his mind, fantastic, gives you a chance to win. You lose it by two points, 130, 128. And now we're in a pattern. And I get that three buckets could have changed the outcome, but you didn't get any of them. You're already teetering right there. It's like you're watch walking the edge of the cliff. And you know, like, oh, are they going over or not? The the way you can redeem that, what you had to do. Was win that second game versus Memphis. That's what kept a slip from becoming a disaster, and that is the game that I underlined because it was it was by seven was the final score. The Blazers lost by seven, but they lost that by a lot more, and they gave up thirty three fast break points in the first three quarters. Eleven fast break points per quarter. Eleven fast break points is an entire game's worth, and they did an entire game's worth of fast break points given up every single. Quarter until the fourth when it didn't matter anymore. You cannot do that. They didn't get outplayed. They didn't get out talented as much as they got outran. They got out hustled. And both teams had the exact amount of rest. And you were on your home court and you needed to beat them and you knew you needed to beat them. And you got out hustled. You got outran. That cannot happen. That right there is the moment I think that this turned. And It creates a big hole, like no matter what else they do. I mean, they better run off 13 straight wins here because if they don't, if they even play 500, you can look back and say, you know what? When push came to shove and you had to have that game, you let the other team run faster than you and you lost it big. I, I don't understand that. If they have any claim to being good, that does not happen for me so i love the indiana win it is what the way they needed to win and redeem it but it does not erase what happened the game before in a game that they needed
0: i feel like sometimes we come on here and say the same things over and over and over again it's just it's been that kind of season where we're saying the same things over and over and over again well not
1: with the fast break points though they don't usually use that lose that way they're actually i mean they're not great they actually are near the bottom of the league and fast break break points given up but not that many I mean, they literally, it looked like they quit. It looked like they just looked at each other and said, what the heck? Let's let this one go. Let's not defend. It was as close to intentionally bad defense as I've seen. And I'm not trying to imply that they intentionally did it. But if they did intentionally try to lose that game, there's only a hair's breadth of difference between that and what they actually did. So if they were trying, something went really, really, really super wrong there. I don't know what it is. But there's no way that you can say the Blazers are doing well here, and there's no way you can say that nothing's wrong here because that game underlined whatever is going on.
0: Okay, so before we move on, let's highlight a couple good things here. I'm only going back as far as what we haven't talked about. So this this last week, the Denver loss was 105 to 106. It was a one-point loss. We've talked about this. A loss is a loss, but we were within we were within grasp. They seemed to play pretty well. There was actually some defense that was played in that game. It wasn't a bad game, in my opinion. We lost. It's unfortunate. I would have liked to win that, but it wasn't a terrible game. In that game, Dame kicked Jason Kidd out of tenth place of all time three pointers made. So Dame moves up the list of of all time three-pointers made in the NBA. He is now number 10 ever in in the NBA. And the thing that I think is really cool about this is the fact that he did it in basically less than half the amount of games as the people before and after him. Now, I know that the game has changed and I know that three-pointers are much more commonly shot than they ever were before. I, I I hear that, I understand that. It's still an incredible feat that he did that in the amount of games that he did it in. I. Think it's really cool to be watching somebody just moving up the charts of of record we're doing the same thing with mellow mellow has been moving up the charts with with and and breaking records and knocking people out of their place and that's cool no matter what else is going on it's really cool to get to watch players do that and to get to watch players whose names are going to be part of history of the nba because of how they're playing and we get to watch that and we get to see that Week after week, night after night, and I think that that's a really cool thing.
1: I don't disagree, but it, it again, it, yes, it brings up the question though. It's the exact question we're asking, I think. What is this season about? And well, we're
0: gonna get there. We're gonna get there. I want to on that same note. Before we get to that, I want to say one more thing about that. So tonight, Dame hit his two thousandth three pointer. He is the second fastest player to ever do that in the NBA. The first being Steph Curry, who beat him by by. I think, I don't know how many games it was. I could go back and look, but he beat him by a few games. Um, so, but that's, again, to do that that quickly is a really big deal. And I think that that's worth noting. Now, given those good things, and and we talked a little bit also at the beginning about Simon's shooting nine out of 10 three-pointers tonight. So that was another good thing. But in the midst of that, we also dropped from the sixth seed to the seventh seed, Currently, our standings, we are the seventh seed. We are now the Mavericks, who are directly in front of us now, have a game tonight that will be played after this podcast is recorded. So we don't know. If they win, we'll be one game behind them. If they lose, we'll be tied with them for six, basically. We are one and a half games ahead of Memphis and San Antonio. They're currently tied. And we are only two games ahead of Golden State. So we're holding on to the top 10 still, but the, those last few from, from sixth to 10th is a real close race here. So that that kind of brings me, Dave, to what you were going to say about what is this season? Where are we at? What now? What is, you know, the where are we at with
1: this? Right. Let's rewind to Anfernee Simons, by the way. Franchise record for most threes hit without a miss. Also ties an NBA record. Uh, yep. I think it was Ben Gordon, Latrell Sprewell, someone, someone like that. It was tied with two people. Don't sleep on Simon sitting and setting an NBA record tonight. If we're going to talk about that kind of thing, so that's awesome. But is the season about that? I mean, it can be, but it wasn't supposed to be. I mean, those things were kind of supposed to happen, and they were supposed to be sprinkles on the frosting on the cake. When those things become the cake for while you're watching, that's a different story, and it's starting to now. There's no way the Blazers fall out of ten. The top 10 in the West are set. I mean, it's a it's a huge five-game difference. It would have to be a monumental collapse by Portland and a monumental surge by New Orleans for the Blazers to be out, out of the playoffs. But it's not looking very good for them to hold on to six, which we said at least is the one thing we wanted them to do after that 30 and 20 start. Hold on to six place. Yeah. As long as you do that, it's good. Yeah. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, you got Memphis tomorrow night, by the way, that will show everything about how much this Indiana game meant, and you you guys will know the results of that by the time you hear this podcast. But after that, you got Brooklyn, Boston, and Atlanta on the road, all tough in various ways. You got Cleveland on the road to finish it out, which should be a win. But then you got the Lakers, Spurs, uh, Rockets, Jazz, Suns, and Nuggets to finish the season. Portland's going to have a really hard time advancing Dallas back into sixth or Memphis or whoever surges up into sixth. I'm not saying it can't happen, but if the Blazers play 500 ball from here on out, they will be doing very, very well, I think. So there's a really, really good chance they're going to be in the play-in tournament. Now, there's a difference between seventh and 10th place, which is the next thing that you make this about. Okay. So here's how it works. Seven and eight play each other. And the winner of that gets the seventh seed automatically the loser of that plays the winner of nine and 10. So the winner of nine and 10 plays the loser of seven and eight for the eighth seat. So if you're in seven, eight, you got two chances minimum to make a seat. If you're in nine, 10, you have to win both. You know, you, you can lose one. If you're in seven, eight, you can lose a series, but if you're in nine or 10, you have to win everything to get to eighth place. So that's not a comfortable position. So the next thing is, okay, if you can't take six, at least right. don't fall to nine, okay? Right. And, and so that's what the season is about now. And at this point, you can feel kind of like this is the route. You're, already, you're, you're off the cliff already. You're, you're hanging onto that route, hoping you can pull yourself back up. Not okay. I mean, not, this is not where the Blazers were meant to be. So if the season was about making the playoffs, you're dangling at the edge of that cliff and it looks kind of pretty still, you know, with all the things going on. But if it's just to finish in the top 10 and have a chance at the playoffs, then they've already succeeded. That's going to happen. I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. Also in the eyes, though, of the players and the front office who made all these moves and did all these things to get there. Is this what they got there for?
0: The offseason came and went, and we were talking about how the Blazers won the offseason. Well, I was talking about how the Blazers won the offseason. I think many people were. Yeah. Yeah. We made all these great moves. And again, I I keep saying this, but it's so true. Like, we are so good on paper. And especially, I think, now with the Norman Powell and, and all those changes, this should be a good team. We said more than one time that this is the best team that Dame has had surrounding him. And yet, two years ago, we made it to the Western Conference Finals. And here we are fighting to even be in the playoffs. It's wild. And I know that the rest of the NBA also, you know, made changes and did things and whatever. I get that. It's hard to look at this, even as somebody who is very optimistic and somebody who looks, I mean, I can sit here and tell you all the reasons that I love the Blazers and all the reasons that I'm very happy with this season Because there are things that I'm very happy about. And I do really enjoy watching the team. And I said tonight, as I was sitting there watching the game, I legitimately love every single player that we have on this team. There is not a player. Well, I don't really, TJ Leaf is a new one for me. I don't really know a lot about him. But the players that we see playing on a regular basis, I love watching. There is not a player on that bench that comes onto the court that I think, oh, no, Every time somebody comes on the court, I'm excited to watch them play. This is a fun team. It's a good team. It's a team full of good talent. It's a team full of nice guys that you want to root for, that you want to win. It's a great team to watch, even still, even feeling the way that I feel about them as as people, as players, as individuals, as a team, as an organization it's still really hard to look at the season and not wonder what the heck happened and where we went wrong. Because I mean, we've, yes, we've dealt with injuries. We've dealt with massive injuries, but we were able to hold it together through those injuries. I think better than I had expected. And we've had worse injuries in the past when we've done better with a not as good team. So it's, it's really hard as a Blazers fan right now to look at this and not question what am I missing? Where did we go wrong? And, and I know you and I have talked about some of those things, but even still, like we can sit here and talk about these things till we're blue in the face, and it just feels like there's some I'm missing some. What is? What am I not catching here? Like, why can't we get this together? Why can't we get it together?
1: So here it is. Uh, I'm and I'm doing a piece on this. It'll publish Thursday morning before this podcast goes live on site, anyway. So here's the deal. It's not so much the Blazers fell apart this year. It's that they didn't get better this year. Back in 2017-18, they actually had a really good defense, and they were good on offense as well. Now, ironically, that's the year they got swept by the Pelicans, so it looked terrible because of how it ended. But they were doing very, very well that year as far as the metrics went. They were also doing very well, not quite as well on defense, but, you know, well enough. And they were still great on offense in 2018 19 when Yusuf Nurkic went down. And granted, they still made the conference finals that year. And that's a feather in their cap. But they were peaking right then. And they were a different team right then. 2019 and 2020, that did not happen. 2019 and 2020 they nosedived especially defensively okay and they were a much much different team in fact if you recall they needed the bubble run to save them they were having not a good season it got interrupted and then they came back and had a really good bubble and that kind of covered it up a little bit they were kind of sucking uh and the question was okay Are they really the team they were two years ago? And they've got Covington now and Nurkic's coming back now. And supposedly Zach Collins was coming back. Are they the team they were two years ago? And the answer we've gotten is less, you know, Oh, what's wrong with them? And more, you know what? They're the team they were last year. They're, they're the team that they were after the Nurkic injury and Nurk coming back hasn't changed that much. Uh, Collins being out hasn't helped that much, but look, Look at I mean, as, as soon as I ran the, the stats and, and looked at the rosters and stuff, it became pretty evident you went from the difference between a healthy Yusuf Nurkic in shape in the shape of his life, Yusuf Nurkic and Alfaruka Minu at the forward positions, to basically either Hassan Whiteside or Enes Kanter plus Carmelo Anthony at the power forward position. And then Robert Covington came in and was going to redeem that, but he couldn't redeem all of it. He's done well, but you know, that's a huge difference. Okay. Yeah. And once you take out the prime Nurkic and all Farouk Aminu and substitute in half a Nurkic and Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony and anybody else, that's not going to work. Okay. And that's basically what's happening. And what we're seeing is, <laughs> Nurkic. Well, I mean, it is, I mean, it has been, look, the (laughs) we just praised him the last four games, but it hasn't been. Right. No, no you're
0: right. It just, that's Yeah. That's just, it just struck me as funny, but you're Mm -hmm. right. And, and you're right. You're right. So yeah, that's solid.
1: So here's the thing. When we look at them now, we have to look at them like they were in 2019, 20. And evidently as they are in 2020, 21 and say, that's the reality. That's the reality that you look at when you decide what offseason moves to make. You can't rewind back to 2017-18 or 2018-19. You can't even really call them a Western Conference finals participant with any level of surety because, A, it's not been even close to repeated. I mean, they nosedived. They were bad right Right. after that. And, B, you got to look at it in reverse now and say what some of us were saying right there, that there's a little asterisk here in that they finally got on the bracket on the other side of the Warriors and credit to them for beating Denver and the Oklahoma city shot was great, but it's not exactly a total shock that they, they were the ones that came out of that scrum of fairly close teams. They were on, they were on the bottom. They were, they were not the favorites, but it's not impossible that that somebody was going to come out. It was Portland. It turned out to not mean much. So let's have some sobering reality and go, if this team is going to get better, changes need to happen. You can't just tinker with vaguely, you know, not great and expect it to turn into great by just tinkering.
0: I know. And that's, that's terrifying to me. I am not looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to do like to having some exciting days ahead, but the process to get there is not something that I'm looking forward to. I I think it's going to be painful.
1: (laughs) Well, the first casualty, unfortunately, is going to be the coach. I mean, I think that...
0: Yeah, I think he's definitely in danger of that. But I'm, I'll am i tell you what, though. He shouldn't be the only one. He shouldn't be the only one. And I'm sad to say he probably will be as far as outside of players. I'm afraid he's going to end up being the sacrificial lamb, even though I don't think that's how it should go.
1: Well, he'll be the sacrificial lamb because they don't want to trade their major players, right? And so... It can't be the fault of the players or the roster construction in any way, right? It can't. But I'm, not,
0: I'm talking outside of the players. I'm no, saying I'm, outside of the players. No, I know.
1: And we're talking about Neil. We're talking about the front office, obviously. But the thing is, how this will have to be painted. And by the way, I still don't think this is Stotz's fault. I don't think that you know if agreed, he, if agreed. he shares blame, it's like it's capped at twenty percent. You throw in Hassan Whiteside as he turned out to be, and as Cantor at the center. I mean, my God, there's been some. I mean, I love the guy. You and I have praised him to high heaven. But some defensive plays where he literally neither covered or closed out at the arc nor got back to the rim, just took two steps in either direction, stood in the middle. It wasn't exactly Kevin Love tantrum, but it was about as effective. He can't defend. So right. you, you Hassan Whiteside, groundbound, in the lane, can't go out to the arc. Ennis Cantor can't defend inside or outside. Carmelo Anthony only defends, you know, two minutes per game, basically at a <gasps> at a high level. I'm not saying it's his fault. It's just who he is. Right. Carmelo Anthony is not expected to do this. He can't do that. But that's literally it wouldn't hurt so much if there weren't that kind of roster construction around it. Nobody's right. gonna be able to coach that kind of rotation into great defense. So look, cap it out at 20% at Stotz's fault. You can tinker with that 20% and get some improvement, but you need to change more. And I'm working my way around to saying, but if you don't want to change more, what do you do here? How do you sell this? It was 100% the coach. It was the coach. The players were right. We made the right moves. We've got some great defenders. We've got a deep roster. We should have done better. All of which are true in a sense, but none of which tell the whole story. And you've got to pin it entirely on the coach. And if you do that, you buy yourself another year of not making huge moves because you say you made the hugest move possible in firing the coach.
0: And another year of wasted time of Dane. I mean, and that's the thing. That's the thing that frustrates me is... It's like if 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 okay fine if we're gonna do this if we're gonna if everything needs to be blown if they're gonna fire Stotts like let's make some real change that's gonna make some real difference. I think it's a very rare occurrence where you can take a coach that is seems to be well liked by the players, keep the roster the same, fire the coach and bring someone new in and get drastically different results. You're dealing with the same team. It's not gonna you're not gonna have drastically different results. Coaching matters. It makes a difference, but it doesn't make that much of a difference when you keep the team the same.
1: People are going to point to the Atlanta Hawks and New York Knicks this year, both of which made coaching changes. Tom Thibodeau came into the Knicks. But also in the roster
0: changes. Right.
1: Well, and Atlanta, Nate McMillan midseason has definitely changed their course. But the coaching situation, the incumbent coaching situation wasn't the same, right? That they were, they were drastically failing, not kind of succeeding. Or, you know, majorly succeeding if you go back a couple of years. I mean, again, I point right. to rewind to 2017 and 18, and that's that stat that everybody's complaining about the Blazers have the 29th best defensive efficiency right. in the NBA. In 2017 18, with the same coach, they had the sixth best defensive efficiency yeah. in the NBA. So, yeah. I mean, I think that Atlanta and New York, sure, I, I think there are examples of what can happen. And I think some of that could happen in Portland. But I think we have to acknowledge that this is way more than a coaching problem well, and not expect miracles just by changing the coach.
0: And again, I preface that by saying when you have a coach that's that's doing well, that the players seem to respond to, you, that they seem to like, that they seem to go along with. I mean, there are situations where you have a coach that's just an awful fit and it's causing problems and there's issues and whatever. That's not the case here. That's not what we're seeing. To me, it's not as simple as fire starts and bring someone new in. The, the, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's, I mean, you have to find someone new to bring in who's going to fit and be able to do what they think stots isn't doing. And I mean, again, I, in my opinion, you can't do that without making other changes. And that that's both front office and roster. You can't, if they really are serious about coming in and making, and this is coming from me, the person who thinks that we need a 30 person roster. So I never have to say goodbye to the people that I love. <laughs> I. I I think that if they really are serious about this, and now don't ask me what changes to make, because I'm not, I'm not saying to get rid of anybody, but if they're going to be serious about this, and if they really want to do these things, and if they're going to fire the coach, they sure as heck better be making some other big changes as well. If they're going to go to that extent, if they're going to go to the point of firing Terry Stotts, I better see some other major changes as well. And I'm just doubtful as to if that's going to happen or not.
1: So, I mean, we can point to at least one of the other problems besides the defense in the front court, which we've just pointed out. That's one major problem. But name the three best scorers on this team. And there's no doubt it's Damian Lillard, and it's CJ McCollum, and it's Norman Powell. Now, Dan, I'll let you field this one right now. And (sighs) I know we've talked about Nasir Little, and I like him all around, but really... Name the young player with the most cachet, the most upside, the most sizzle, the most potential scoring ability, whatever on this team. Who is it? The young player. And yeah, it's obviously Anthony Simons, right? Now right. what position do these players play? Damian Lillard, point guard, but scores a lot. CJ McCollum, right. shooting guard. Anthony Simons, shooting guard. Norman Powell, right. shooting guard. You want to know what your problem is or part of it is that all your best players are jammed up at literally the same position, almost certainly in the same backcourt. Okay, and, uh, you know, also what your big acquisition, Robert Covington, again, who's he next to? Ennis Cantor, Okay, it's not going to work. Who comes in for him? Carmelo Anthony. That's not going to work. Uh, right. Yusuf Nurkic is supposed to work, and I think that could be brilliant if we get this Nurk that we're seeing right now. Right, Please, right. please, I'm sending up all kinds of prayers that that <laughs> happens, but if you don't get this Nurk, who's, in, who's Robert Covington next to? Literally nobody. Derek Jones Jr. has been wasted on defense because there's no backstop behind him, like we've talked about before. Nasir Little looks like he can defense so maybe that's another that's that's a ray of hope but you know what rewind to the beginning of this season and tell me you know what your real ray of hope coming out of this is going to be nasir little out of all of this and i'm going to go what what the hell happened and that's that's about what we're talking about
0: yeah i just you're right though like there's gonna have to be some change in there and and maybe that's part of the issue is that again, I go back to on paper, you look at these guys as individuals and it's, we have a lot of talent, but when you put them together, it's just not clicking. It's just not meshing because of exactly what you just explained. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's very apparent that change needs to come. I don't like change and I don't like this whole idea of, especially when you name those players, it's like, I can't, I can't picture any of them going. And even Norman Powell, who's a new acquisition, we haven't had him very long. I haven't had that long to get attached to him. I'm attached to him. I like him. I want to see him stay. And I know that there's a whole lot to go with that. He may or may not. There's, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, change needs to come. I don't know what that looks like. I'm, once again, I will say, very glad it's not my job to make those decisions. But
1: but let's do this. Norman Powell's the answer. Norman Powell's the person who, like we said, fills that position, gives some measure of defense, can also shoot if you'd use him properly and he had enough touches, he's going to be great. He literally worked his way into this league doing that, okay? He he is going to make $20 million a year because he does that. Norman Powell is the answer. Who is the most likely of those four not to be a Blazer next year, given the organizational Norman culture Powell. and proclivities? Norman okay uh, i know to, okay you start to get the idea folks that something is backwards here and you know and this- it's not the players
0: and it's not the coach it's not it's the front office i'm just putting it out there this is not a secret neil likes his guys and he has a- and i actually this is actually something that i've kind of always liked about neil because i'm a little bit like this I'm loyal to the guys we have, and I don't want to see them go, and so I've always kind of liked that about him, but right now it's frustrating because we're not letting go of things that we maybe should because we have emotional attachments.
1: Well, or whatever, professional attachments, whatever it is. But that said, we should say also this. there is an asterisk that if Zach Collins were healthy, this might be might be a little bit of forget a different. He's sort of. On our. Team. Yeah yeah, exactly. This is the disaster that's become. But honestly speaking. If you had a mobile defensive forward center in Zach Collins, then you reduce your dependence, perhaps on Carmelo Anthony, perhaps on Kanter, a little bit, or at least you have someone you can bring in there to watch other people. And his defensive instincts were really good. I only halfway believe in his footwork. I don't believe in his shot the way it was, but I believed in this guy's defense because it was Good. He was on his way to becoming a really good defender. Now injuries have stopped that, obviously, and there's nothing that's going to change that. But I will give the front office this much credit: there's a chance that it wouldn't have looked exactly like this had Collins panned out, had Collins not right. been injured. Okay, uh, he I, is. I still don't think he's the right get. By the way, if we start, you're gonna make yourself sick if you start rewinding to 2017 to 2016 no, no, and 2016 on the don't decision don't point. But look, there's at least that much grace in it. And and I don't think Enes was a bad pickup. I mean, yeah, sure. You just can't have all of them. You just can't do all of these things and figure it's going to work because even it's like playing a game where you need a straight, and then you just pick keep picking up fours. Okay, you got four of a kind, but you the winning hand was a straight this time. So yeah. Anyway, I think I think we've probably rehearsed that enough. But let it be said because you know this is the week when Stotts was officially basically declared done i mean it's not obviously official we have no idea nobody has any idea but the media and public tide turned this week so yeah. let it be said that we still kind of object to that, that yeah we don't i like think him
0: it, i i don't yeah. think he i don't think it's the answer
1: and that at least if we're going to do this let's be serious about talking about the whole issue and not yeah. just play along with the PR line of it was the coach. And if we get a new coach, all this will be miraculously fixed.
0: Yeah, that's my thing. That's my big hang up here is fine. Fine. If you're going to fire the coach, while I don't think that's the problem. I Okay, fine. Fine. I I get it. I get how this works. I feel sometimes like they're saying we're going to fire the coach and that'll give us another year to deal with this. And it, it's like, you can't, That just firing the coach is not going to fix the problems. And if you're going to go to that length, if you're going to go to the length to fire Terry Stotts, who is a good coach as their head coach, then you better be making big moves. You better not just be leaving it at that.
1: Absolutely. But go back even past that. What did you and I say at the beginning of this season? This is it, right? This yep. is yeah. it. Yeah, we did. It's true. You 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 win now. You show who you are now because this yeah. is who you are, and there's no more excuses of any kind. And you know right. what? Even as you said, even the injuries weren't an excuse. This is it. There's no more storytelling left to tell. What they are at the end of the season is who they are. End of story. Anything yeah. else on the docket? Nope, that was it. Oh wow. Well, I mean, it's a little bit more negative of a show than we usually do, but that's not unexpected <laughs> given the. At least there was the Indiana win. And Anthony Simons to keep it from being a total funeral march dirge, but 33 and 28 still a winning record. Let's yeah. see what they do say, versus Memphis.
0: And I'll say this because you know I don't want to ne- end it on a negative note. At the end of the day, regardless of these difficult losses, I think, like I said earlier. These guys are fun to watch. They really are. And if you look at them as individuals and you look at their strengths and you watch those, they're fun to watch. And we get to watch Damian Lillard play night after night. And we get to watch Carmelo Anthony, who left the league and came back to be a blazer, play night after night. And we get to watch CJ McCollum, who we I know people are all on this trade CJ thing, but he's an incredible player and he's doing really well this year and having a great season. And we get to watch him play night after night after night. We get to watch Aunt Anthony Simons turn into a really good NBA player. We are witnessing that happening. We get to watch Harry Giles, and we get to watch not Nasir much. Little. Well, no, not but enough
1: for n- Harry. Not I like no, him. But
0: but I do too. And we get to see him. And he's he's ours. And we get to watch Nasir Little, and we get to watch Norman Powell now, who is very quickly becoming very loved. We get to watch Nurkic who you know a, a year ago was had a bad enough injury that it could have really stunted his career we get to watch inez cantor who we who was not a blazer and then he came back to us there's so I'm sure I'm missing people because I don't have a list in front of me and I don't want to repeat people but we are really fortunate to have Robert Cunnington. I don't know how I missed that he's like one of my top three favorite blazers of all time to watch, watch. DJJ dunk too yeah, Derek, how am I forgetting? I don't know how I forgot them. Derek Jones Jr., who is basically an air—I mean, he flies. The man flies. He's incredible. We are getting to watch, and and man's I, I mean man's gone I started, at
1: the end of the year. That's going to be another casualty of all this. Dave,
0: this is positive. Time. Sorry, this is yeah, positive just, you time. just
1: reminded me. Okay,
0: <laughs> uh, you know Robert Covington. I keep saying is is legitimately one of my favorite players to watch. He's so much fun to watch in the midst of all of this. I want to win. I think we all want to win, and it's frustrating to watch this. But at the end of the day, we're getting to watch really good players play really good basketball. Well, well, play really play basketball <laughs> and
1: <laughs> play something. With we're getting basketball. to watch
0: them play, and we're getting these flashes of greatness. And I think for me, the one of the ways that I keep optimistic is i watch for that and i think about the highlights of the games and you know if we took the highlights from even the worst of our losses we would have an incredible highlight reel because we have incredible players and i am grateful for that and i am grateful for the community and that's my positive note
1: so here's how to frame that um right now we're judging the end of the expectations that were set in the offseason, not just by the acquisitions, but by, for instance, Damian Lillard reportedly saying to Neil Olshay, win now. And they didn't. They aren't. I mean, they're kind of winning, but they're not winning at the level they should be, right? This We're, we're putting an end to that and still judging the season through the lens of that. Very soon, we're probably going to put that lens down and we're going to judge now, okay, well, let's do what we can in the playoffs, which is the traditional Portland lens. But no matter how that happens, too, being able to talk about this now and see them play now is always better than whatever we're going to feel uh, on the day after their season ends, and we wish there was more basketball. So right. there's all right. those perspectives. Don't forget that at the summer, you're going to wish you were watching this, even if this is a two-point loss to the Grizzlies or a blowout in which you got outrun. Uh, that's still better than no basketball. So, uh, you know, we're going to be here next week. We hope you will be too. You will know how the Grizzlies uh, game turned out, which is, again, critically important. They can't lose that one. They got to come and win it. Uh, you'll also have results from Brooklyn, Boston and Atlanta before we talk again. So that'll be an interesting week. The good way to say it is potential for redemption, right? If they they win three of their next four games, we're all going to be high-fiving and going, sweet, not likely to happen, but hey, that's why they play them.
0: It's going to be a rough end of the season. It's going to be intense, but I really love this team.
1: Yep, and Dia will always have Cleveland. Cleveland, Wednesday, May 5th, circle it. <laughs> that's going to be a win. So, no matter what happens in the next four games, hopefully there'll be lots of wins. But they will always be the Cavaliers right at the that end of the road
0: on a t-shirt
1: <laughs> Always have Cleveland. It'll make you feel better. That's their purpose. So, so for oh, Dia Miller, man. I'm Dave Deckard. Until next week, we will see you soon.
0: A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to slap the shot attempt away, saying, "Get that weak stuff out of here." Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast rate the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley She jams it. Boom, chakalapa. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent.